1: My fellow Americans, we face important choices, decisions that will affect our futures, the future of our nation, our children, in fact, every human being on the face of this planet. How do we modernize our economy without leaving anyone behind? How do we encourage investment and growth to support our next generation of citizens? How do we use the powerful technologies humanity is inventing every day without feeling controlled, dumbed down, or even replaced by them? Fortunately, while we may not agree on how we should address these issues, we all agree that they must be addressed. And when you think about it, in spite of our disagreements, we have so much more in common than that which divides us. We love our kids, our moms, our country... But it's more than that. We are bound together by the very planet beneath our feet. As Carl Sagan once put it, the Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. We cherish our planet, and we know how precious it is. We know this tiny ball hurtling through space has to be protected for our children's children's children. We all agree that... (laughs) Uh, could you wait? I'm giving you... Wait, what? Seriously? Yeah. No, but for real? <laughs> my fellow citizens, it has suddenly come to my attention that apparently some of our fellow Americans uh, don't even agree that we're on a planet orbiting a sun. I- excuse me. you sure about this? Okay, yes, they are sure about this. There are people who believe that we actually live on a flat tile of rock on the back of a turtle, or possibly some pillars. And it's at the center of the universe, instead of on a rotating planet 93 million miles away from an average-sized star in the middle of the arm of an average galaxy in a chaotically expanding universe. And that every space launch from the Apollo astronauts to the most familiar satellite orbit is totally fake. Because... (laughs) Okay, because everything about science and facts and technology is a lie designed to lead people away from the truth. So basically everything I was assuming at the beginning of this speech was wrong. Okay, I'm going to take a minute and restart this whole thing. Just, just give me a second. Okay, let's give this another shot. Look, I get it. It can be scary to live in our modern technological world and there are a lot of things that science has demonstrated don't make instinctual sense to our evolved monkey brains. Tiny invisible bugs called germs are what give you diseases even though you can't see them with your naked eye. Those giant thunder lizards that used to rule the world? Evolution turned them into chickens. And also, we live on a rotating planet that circles the sun. The Earth is a globe that follows laws laid out by Newton, refined by Einstein, and verified by every measurement between the 15th century and 11 o'clock this morning. For centuries, almost no educated person had any doubts about the world being round. But it turns out, in the past two centuries, some folks who don't care for that view have decided, by fiat, that every single thing science has ever discovered is wrong. And my fellow Americans, I want their votes. So if I have to pretend I think the world is flat in order to get you guys to vote for me, then fuck it. That's the ticket. Flat as a board. Ignore every image you've seen from the space program. Imagine every single space launch from Sputnik to the space shuttle to SpaceX as part of the conspiracy. If you want to believe that shit, then so do I. Up is down. Left is right. The world is flat. But it's not, is it? It's basically like a ball. Slightly pear-shaped. As it turns out, there are two things that we can know. First, the world is round for all intents and purposes. Second, way too many people think it isn't which means we've got the setup for a fun, easy podcast episode. Plenty of folks in the modern world do indeed believe in a flat earth, and because it's so incredibly easy to prove that belief false, assuming you have 10 seconds and an internet connection, it's worth our time to explore why none of them ever seem to change their minds. So, let's get started in the most appropriate possible way. As the world turns. Oh, yes, motherfucker. It turns. Welcome back to the Paranoid stream Come on, ride that strain, choo choo strain. Hi, we're stuck in the '90s musically, but thematically, we're apparently going back to relitigate some shit that was already settled in the time of the ancient Greeks. At least until some British yobs refucked everything up in the 19th century. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We welcome you back to the Paranoid Strain, your friendly neighborhood podcast dedicated to the proposition that way too many of our fellow citizens believe completely whacked-out shit. Every couple of months, we try to help you understand why your barber, your uncle's much younger third wife, and certain members of unnamed presidential administrations believe evidence-free conspiracy theories. I am your host, Fearful Jesuit, a man who clearly showed up late when they were handing out pseudonyms. Welcome to all of you paranoid-strained newbies. You happen to be catching us in one of our less serious modes. Oh, don't get me wrong. We aim to bring a certain devil-may-care insouciance to even our most difficult and controversial subjects. But this week's episode concerns a conspiracy theory so desperately silly, so obviously insane, that debunking it feels like beating up on a toddler. Which is not to say that we're above a good toddler beating. I mean, rhetorical toddler beating. Wanted to clarify that.
2: Christ, do you even listen to yourself?
1: Anyway, once you've finished with this episode, why not dip into our archives? We cover other frivolous nonsense, like the demon jet clouds that are coming out of plane engines to kill us all, but also topics that can make the blood boil.
2: For example, Sandy Hook and 9-11 truthers.
1: And even mistaken beliefs that have a body count.
2: Anti-Semitic tracts and sovereign citizen delusions, among others.
1: Once you've sampled the wares, why not contact us? Just type Paranoid Strain into whatever social thingamabob you're using, and we're pretty sure you'll find something that will eventually make its way to us. Look for the weird eye icon. It's a dead giveaway. We've also got a group on Facebook, which, as far as we know, has not yet been scraped for data by Cambridge Analytica. Just look up the Paranoid Strain and we'll make you official. There's a membership card and everything.
2: There isn't. He fervently wishes there was one, but alas.
1: Moreover, did you know this show was eager to include you? That's right. All you have to do is record a quick voice memo with your comment or question and send it to theparanoidstrain at gmail.com, and you might hear your own mellifluous purr in an episode down the line. As for this show, well, quick peek behind the curtain, we actually maintain a list of upcoming topics through 2020 designed to give us a nice variety of subject matter. But sometimes a seemingly innocuous topic, included in our list purely as a historical curiosity suddenly seems far more contemporary and relevant than it has any right to. Which leads us to...
3: There's at least one truth we thought was indisputable. And the Earth is...
4: Flat. Flat.
3: The Earth is flat.
4: My reality, my senses tell me that the Earth is flat and stationary.
3: Or so I thought. But for the people attending the first Flat Earth International Conference here in Cary, North Carolina, their Earth, indisputably, is not round.
1: That's right. Though surely this is an anachronism, given the rich, varied, and ultimately repetitive history of crankery, a meeting of chuckleheads gathered in 2017 to declare themselves grandly to be the first Flat Earth convention. And this is hardly the only Flat Earth incident to grab headlines around the world. Consider Flat Earth Rocket Guy, who, in spite of his best efforts, somehow survived his ascent in a self-designed... Yeesh. ...self-constructed... Double yeesh. ...steam-powered...
2: Ooh, doggy ...rocket. Well, hot damn.
1: As you've probably guessed, we pulled those clips you just heard from YouTube. And if you have ever, ever had the deep misfortune to type the search term flat earth into that site, you know that there are literally thousands of ill-informed flat earthers insisting on the rightness of their views. These are, naturally, greeted by a never-ending stream of videos addressing said beliefs as the horseshit they are, some more eloquently than others.
2: But the point is, you don't need us to do a long, in-depth debunking of this idea. They're thick on the ground.
1: You can accomplish that for yourself in a matter of seconds by using your phone to access one of the numerous live satellite and international space station feeds you can look up on, yet again, YouTube. Beamed directly to you, live, from goddamned outer space. So, while we're going to review the history of ideas about the shape of our planet, both the flat theory and the correct one, we're only going to touch on a few of the most common flat Earth proofs that adherents like to point to. As again, there are plenty of more qualified debunkers than us handling this topic. We'll spend some more time chatting with those who have found themselves on the front lines of the modern controversy. However, absurd it sounds when I say out loud that there's a fucking flat Earth controversy in 2018.
2: Elon Musk, world's first combination Bond villain slash potential savior of humanity, showed you a live feed of a goddamn Tesla with a spacesuit at the wheel heading towards a billion year near Mars orbit, backdrop by a David Bowie tune and a clearly spherical Earth. Christ, people, what the fuck does it take?
1: Cool your jets. People clinging to ridiculous beliefs is what puts imaginary bread on the entirely hypothetical Jesuit dinner table. Anywho, after that we'll survey the many and varied delusionals who fuel the modern flat-earth movement, and then, in an unprecedented variance from our standard operating procedure, we will dedicate our Profiles in Crazy section to the difficult problem of determining which flat-earthers are genuinely deluded and which ones are... Uh, Dana, what do the kids say?
2: Trolling flat earthers for to lulls.
1: Yes, lulls. Trolling. The paranoid strain is hip to the jive, hepcats. Regardless, we've got a jam-packed episode all loaded up for you, so let's get started by figuring out the history of flat versus reality-based earth models, How the latter came to dominate scientific, political, philosophical, and all other thought.
2: Spoiler, because the Earth is, in fact, round.
1: And when exactly people restarted believing that the Earth was flat. About a decade ago, a historian named Christine Garwood wrote an excellent history of a quirky historical oddity the fact that, for a while there, from the mid 19th century through the early space age, A group of eccentrics had kept alive the idea that the Earth, in spite of all possible measurements and evidence, was not
2: This is the last time we're going to clarify this. We know it's technically an oblate spheroid, and that no one outside of scientists uses that term. So for practical purposes, from now on, please feel free to imagine we're saying oblate spheroid whenever we say the entirely less stilted word
1: round, but instead was actually flat. We at The Strain like to imagine her struggle to get this book printed back in the halcyon days of the 2000s. Book publishers would scoff at the commercial viability of such a treatise. Nobody really believed in a flat Earth anymore. In fact, in spite of her diligent research, surely modern readers would doubt that even the crankiest cranks had carried this belief into the space age. Fortunately, her work was indeed published, in spite of our imagined obstacles, And so we thankfully have this eminently readable account of the history out of which our current flat-earth-crazed moment emerged.
2: History time!
1: Before we get further into this, let's cut early humans, and therefore early human philosophers, a break. Given our size relative to the Earth, the Sun, the solar system, the galaxy, etc., it's entirely reasonable that our ancestors assumed we lived on a flat plane. Furthermore, why not assume that the place where you live is at the center of the stuff that seems to rotate around it, from your perspective? And finally, it's eminently sensible to presume that therefore any cosmic shenanigans that hoved into your field of view, comets, falling stars, the northern lights, etc., were an outgrowth of good or bad deities visiting favor or wrath onto the surface you were standing on. After all, it was the center of the universe.
2: And that the wrath was your fault. You know what you did.
1: In point of fact, the grand realization that the Earth isn't flat, as it appears to us every day, is one of the crowning achievements of scientific thinking. All of the hard-won conclusions that came later-the idea that the Earth revolved around the Sun rather than vice versa, the place of the Solar System in the outer arm of the Milky Way galaxy, and even the careful observations that pushed the Earth, our Solar System, even our galaxy, far from the putative center of an expanding, accelerating universe-all began when that first human noticed, that distant boats would gradually sink below the horizon, while approaching mountains would seem to grow out of the ground. As Garwood notes, the first person who was on the record as claiming that the world was round is Pythagoras, whom longtime listeners will recall as the guy who prayed to the number 10 and forbade eating beans.
2: As the farts they engendered weren't methane, but actually the soul escaping from the body.
1: And while our previous characterization of him as a weirdo par excellence is well-supported, He's also one of the most important early mathematicians and philosophers. He apparently made his claim after figuring out that the moon was round and not circular based on the way the shadow that crossed its face curved as it gradually passed over the surface. If the moon was round, he reasoned, it's likely the Earth would be too. Aristotle later bolstered this observation with his own, that the southern constellations he could view from Athens moved north in the sky as one traveled south. In fact, the Greeks were so on board with this idea that by the 3rd century BC, Eratosthenes actually set about to measure its circumference. His method was ingenious. As the librarian in Alexandria, he had come across an account suggesting that in a city to the south, at high noon on June 21st of each year, the sun would briefly stand directly overhead and nothing would cast a shadow. His interest piqued, Eratosthenes decided to determine whether the same phenomenon would transpire on that day in his city to the north. It did not. From there, we'll let the late Carl Sagan pick up the story from his legendary first series of the show, Cosmos.
4: How could it be, Eratosthenes asked, that at the same instant there was no shadow at Syene and a very substantial shadow at Alexandria? The only answer was that the surface of the Earth is curved. For the observed difference in the shadow lengths, the distance between Alexandria and Syene had to be about 7 degrees along the surface of the Earth. 7 degrees is something like a 50th of the full circumference of the Earth, 360 degrees. Eratosthenes knew the distance between Alexandria and Syene. He knew it was 800 kilometers. Why? because he hired a man to pace out the entire distance so that he could perform the calculation I'm talking about. Now, 800 kilometers times 50 is 40,000 kilometers. So that must be the circumference of the Earth. That's how far it is to go once around the Earth. That's the right answer. Eratosthenes' only tools were sticks, eyes, feet, and brains.
2: In case you're wondering, no, the flat earthers don't have a good answer to this one, or for that matter, to any of the other obvious proofs of the Earth's shape.
1: So, hundreds of years before the Common Era, any educated person could access reproducible proof that the Earth was round. Which is not to say that flat Earth beliefs didn't persist. But over the course of centuries, as the Macedonian Empire faded before the Persian, the Roman, and eventually those were replaced by the various Catholic, Christian, and Islamic empires that held sway over the world in the Middle Ages, the understanding that the earth was round continued to be the default position for the educated well up into Columbus's time.
2: Of course, the Catholic Church had a real problem with the equally accurate idea that the earth revolved around the sun, among other facts. But given our ludicrous subject matter, we're happy to assign partial credit.
1: So, if even the Pope knew the world was round way back when, what the hell happened to lead to our situation today? Weirdly, really, our current predicament can be traced directly to the middle of the 19th century and laid at the feet of three Victorian Britons, Notorious Charleses, Lyell and Darwin, and especially Samuel, Burleigh, Robotham. Mr. Darwin and his effect on those with a strictly biblical worldview has been pretty widely discussed especially in courtrooms in the American South. But for a quick review, Darwin's stunning analysis demonstrating the common ancestry of all life on Earth, including humans, led to a harsh backlash from those who believed in a strict interpretation of the Book of Genesis. And Lyell though not the household name Darwin is, was equally influential in helping us achieve our modern understanding of the age of the Earth by demonstrating that change over millions, or indeed billions of years, was the best explanation of the geological record. But that last guy, Mr. Robotham, is the patient zero of the revival of the flat Earth idea. By channeling the Victorian general public's unease at the way scientists like Darwin and Lyell were upending their understanding of the world and human beings' place in it, and repackaging old misunderstandings for a 19th and eventually 20th and 21st century audience. But he didn't do all of this under his own name. Instead, he took the pseudonym Parallax.
2: A couple of observations. First, Parallax is a way better name than Fearful Jesuit. Mean. Second, while this makes him sound like the villain in a mid-80s Golan Globus production, it's actually a term for the difference in apparent positions that an object can have when viewed from different angles.
1: As chronicled by Dr. Garwood, Mr. Robotham was quite a character throughout his life, with stints as a firebrand socialist and as a self-styled researcher into human immortality. But he hit upon his new nom de plume and the theory that would make him famous when, in the mid-1840s, he began promulgating his new, common-sense-based approach to learning truths about the world.
2: Which he christened zetetic astronomy, after the Greek verb zetain, meaning to seek or inquire.
1: In a series of increasingly popular talks and debates, Parallax honed his skills and spread the gospel of his decidedly idiosyncratic view of the world, before increasingly larger audiences and to the consternation of the scientific establishment of what was then the greatest empire in the world. What did Parallax preach? Well, first of all, his zetetic astronomy was predicated on observation and induction, thereby claiming the heritage of Francis Bacon and other early modern scientists. Contrary to these values, he claimed... Modern science was based on unproven theories that didn't even pass a basic sniff test. Or, as Dr. Garwood puts it,
2: In fact, Parallax went further, arguing that orthodox ideas were precisely the ones that should be challenged through free and open-minded data collection by zetetics, who listened meekly to nature's revelations and did not twist results to fit theories.
1: falutin. So what did these supposed zetetic observations tell our Parallax about the world? A lot, actually. All of it completely absurd.
2: Utilizing experimental results, mathematical calculations, and various biblical passages, he contended that the Earth was a flat disk with a north pole at its center. The south pole was naturally non-existent in this scheme, and the circular plane was bordered by an immense barrier of ice. Disk Earth was stationary, with neither axial nor orbital motion, while the sun spiral-circuited overhead once every 24 hours at a distance no greater than 700 miles
1: there's a bit more.
2: This earth, as a subject of God's special creation, was the only material world in existence. For Parallax insisted that the sun, moon, and stars were only referred to as lights in the scriptures, and that anyone who believed the reverse was contrary to nature, to fact, and human experience, and to the direct teaching of God's word.
1: It turned out that this nonsense was a pretty popular lecture topic in what again, was certainly among the most advanced, scientific, wealthy, and educated nations the world has ever seen. So what gives? Well, as Dr. Garwood points out, the very same trends made British folks of that time uniquely susceptible to the snake oil Parallax was selling.
2: Victorian Britain saw the rise of earth flatteners, perpetual motionists, and the like. It took advantage of improved educational opportunities, affordable reading material, and the new penny post— to develop and communicate their unorthodox ideas. Sometimes living proof of the adage, a little learning is a dangerous thing, the misguided could exploit various channels to disseminate their so-called wild notions. And the development of specialist societies and the role of public scientists offered a more visible yet unwilling audience for their seemingly relentless endeavors.
1: So, the very thirst for knowledge by a newly educated populace and the attendant development of learned journals, societies, and the like had the dual effects of both encouraging the average person
2: Well, man.
1: To engage with the scientific discoveries of his or her <clears throat> Okay, his day. It also perversely led to a situation where there was a fertile ground of sorta kinda educated folks who were up to speed enough on then-modern discoveries to understand Parallax's appeals to observation and experiment, but not knowledgeable enough to refute his theory's obvious absurdities. Eventually, though, members of Britain's scientific establishment were forced to take note of the rise of Parallax and his numerous followers, many of whom began publishing, lecturing, and generally hectoring the era's astronomical luminaries into ill-advised public experiments where the two theories would compete head-to-head. The most famous, and in many ways emblematic of these, was a long-term dispute between Alfred Russell Wallace, the co-discoverer of evolution through natural selection, and a follower of Parallax's named John Hampton. If Parallax was the Jesus of the modern flat-earth religion, then Hampton was his evangelical St. Paul. Always willing to go further and be more strident in defense of his beliefs than his mentor, Hampton spent most of his time writing lengthy, horribly insulting letters to various scientists, daring them to prove that the world was in fact a globe, and calling them cowards and worse for ignoring his challenges. Wallace, at that point in his career nearly penniless and in desperate need of a quick infusion of easy money accepted Hampton's 500-pound wager on the matter. The two conducted a then-famous experiment in which they hung a marker on the side of a bridge, set up a telescope six miles away and at the same height, and then placed a marker at the midway point exactly the same height above the water as the mark on the bridge and the lens of the telescope. You can probably figure this out from here, but the idea was...
2: If the middle marker appeared below the line of sight, this would be taken as proof of the flat surface of water
1: and thus the flat-earther Hampton would win.
2: If, on the contrary, the middle marker appeared above the line of sight,
1: that would demonstrate the world is round, and therefore Wallace would be the victor. Well, guess what? Round Earth. So it was settled, right? Of course not. The flat-earthers refused to accept the obvious fact of their failure— Eventually, a judge had to intervene to force Hampton to pay the money he owed Wallace. This action set off a seemingly never-ending series of libelous letters issued by Hampton and aimed at Wallace, his scientific colleagues, and, in a particularly tasteful move, Wallace's very pregnant wife, culminating in Hampton's imprisonment for making death threats. Eventually, Wallace came to deeply regret his involvement in the whole affair— Hampton basically ruined himself, squandered his inheritance, and immiserated everyone around him in support of an easily disproved delusion.
2: Unfortunately, he was hardly the last to do so.
1: Yes, indeed. Parallax inspired a variety of other acolytes on his side of the pond, who squandered the time, attention, and resources of themselves and their followers in a vain attempt to defend the indefensible. But before we jump over to the American versions of this phenomenon that littered the 20th century and beyond, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one pretty significant fact.
2: Per Dr. Garwood, it is not clear at all whether Parallax actually believes his own theory.
1: It's true. The first modern promulgator of the Flat Earth theory might also be the first ever Flat Earth troll. Here we're using the modern internet-based definition, meaning those who pretend to believe in and declare things purely in order to irritate others online. Not the hairy guys who live under bridges and dig Cabrito. What's her evidence for Parallax's apostasy? Well...
2: By claiming to defend the Bible against science, and by setting the two in irresolvable conflict, he was bound to attract an audience willing to pay to hear such ideas. Questions remain about whether Parallax truly believed his own theory, for his time as a socialist lecturer and commune member throws serious doubt on his claim. In a colorful existence that defied convention, only two strict rules applied— His real identity was to remain secret, and he would always maintain that he truly believed the Earth to be flat, despite later revelations to the contrary.
1: Again, he may have been a true believer, but there's reason to doubt. This is a theme that we will see recur over and over in the history of Flat Earth Ideas. Often, the seeming standard-bearers of the cause will in fact prove to be either arch-intellectuals taking unorthodox ideas out for a spin, thumbing their nose at the establishment, or clever hucksters using their powers of persuasion to mislead or fleece the gullible. While Parallax may or may not have matched his public pronouncements to his private opinions, there's little doubt that his disciples did. After his death, they ensured that the gospel of Flat Earth lived on. Dr. Garwood covers all of these in admirable detail, but for the sake of keeping this episode at a semi-reasonable length, we're just going to touch on a few highlights.
2: For example, did you know that there was a flat-earth religious cult in Illinois in the first decades of the 20th century?
1: Us either, at least until we read this book. But it's true. This story concerns Wilbur Glenn Voliva, a follower of a Scottish faith healer named John Alexander Dowie. Dowie had originally founded his religious community in the land of Lincoln, but Volava eventually deposed his erstwhile leader in 1906 and took control of Dowie's community, which was called Zion. Vallava, being kind of a loon, wanted to ensure that his newly acquired leadership of the settlement bore his unique stamp. But the problem was, his predecessor had already done a pretty great job of setting up a network of truly batshit rules based on an incredibly literal reading of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. For example, Dowie's dicta forbade...
2: Alcohol, pigs, tobacco, oysters, lobsters, playing cards, medicines, vaccinations, drugstores, hospitals, doctors, theaters, sorcerers, dance halls, opera houses, circuses, houses of ill repute, labor unions, and masonic lodges.
1: Dude, no sorcerers? These guys were serious. Regardless, Valova found some new stuff to ban, which did his former mentor proud.
2: Dancing, cinemas, theatres, and the congregation of more than two people in public were also prohibited, as were chewing gum and driving in excess of five miles per hour. Cosmetics, bobbed hair, and high heels might also result in arrest, and the wearing of an ordinary bathing suit was a crime.
1: But while these restrictions seemed of a piece with Dawes, Vahlava also maintained that the proper understanding of scripture required any true believer to accept that the earth was flat and in spite of the fact that astronomy in his day was advancing even faster than it was in parallaxes, Valleva remained resolute, and he seems to have been among the first modern flat-earthers to add a specific wrinkle to the overall theory. In his telling, the flat-earth was rimmed by
2: a solid dome, the firmament or vault of heaven, from which the sun, moon, and stars hung like a chandelier from a ceiling. Heavenly bodies moved round the stationary earth propelled by two great ethereal currents, one running north, the other south, and the stars were tiny orbs that rotated the earth at a distance no further than they seemed. When it came to the sun, he claimed that it was 32 meters in diameters, 2,700 miles from the earth, and spiraled across the stationary plane once a day at the same height.
1: With a few amendments, this is pretty close to what's believed by modern flat earthers. It just never gets less weird saying that out loud. The sun, moon, planets, and stars are simply lights embedded in an actual, literal dome that stretches over the Earth, and which is identical to the firmament through which the floods that drowned the world in Noah's time spilled.
2: God damn, that is stupid.
1: Indeed. But unlike Parallax, there's basically no doubt that Voliva believed it. In fact, in 1929...
2: He sent numerous telegrams to the world's press warning that the explorer and aviator Richard E. Byrd should abort his planned expedition to the South Pole, because he would undoubtedly fly over the ice barrier at the edge of the Earth.
1: No dice, of course. Valiva's religious nightmare community eventually collapsed, and he died in 1942. After tearfully confessing, he had embezzled from his trusting flock. But of course, his weird flat-earth ideas didn't die with him. They moved on to the unlucky son of a bitch who was fated to be the world's leading flat-earther just as the most definitive sort of proof arrived for the round-earth model. While Samuel Shelton believed just as fervently as Voliva that the world was flat, he came to his belief in a completely different way. Shenton was a failed inventor of the round-earth-believing sort originally, whose pride and joy was a new bottle of airship designed in the 1920s to ascend into the atmosphere and remain stationary as the Earth spun below it.
2: Wait, it doesn't work like that.
1: Of course it doesn't. But Shelton's skewed idea of how the rotation of the Earth works led him to believe that his ship would transport cargo and passengers at nearly a thousand miles per hour, albeit only in a western direction, as that's approximately the speed that the world spins. The total failure of fluid dynamics on a planetary scale to conform to his expectations seems to have permanently broken his brain in a sense. If his invention wouldn't work, then all of science as it was currently understood was wrong. He put down his science books, picked up a Bible, and shortly developed his own twist on flat earth cosmology.
2: It was founded on the idea that the universe was an endless flat plane called Mother Earth, marked by a series of deep pits, Our disc-shaped world was lodged at the bottom of one of these holes and floated on water that had seeped through its surface, producing rivers, springs, and oceans.
1: Seeking the company of other like-minded believers, in 1956 he founded the International Flat Earth Research Society. It was, of course, similar to the various zetetic societies that preceded it, except that Shelton, to his credit I suppose, put a greater emphasis on finding actual evidence and proofs of his assertions
2: not, of course, that this high-minded ideal led to any legitimate observations.
1: Nope. And in fact, within a year or so of his founding of IFERS, the Soviets stuck a pointy, beeping metal ball directly in his organization's metaphorical eye. Sputnik launched on October 4th, 1957, sending the Western world into a crisis of faith in our institutions' ability to match the technological advances of the Soviets, and putting the final nail in the coffin of any lingering flat-earth beliefs once... And for all. Nope. No such luck. Shelton was completely unfazed.
2: He believed the satellites moving above the Earth did not prove sphericity. They were merely circling over the flat disk world in common with the sun and moon.
1: And he stood firm as the news got worse and worse and worse for him. First, manned flights began. Shelton dismissed the cosmonauts' and astronauts' description of the spinning blue ball of the Earth beneath them as Just an optical illusion,
2: quite common in these high-flying days.
1: When cosmonaut Alexei Leonov completed humanity's first spacewalk, Shenton saw it as final, clinching proof of the non-existence of gravity. It was a little tougher on him when the first unmanned lunar orbiters sent back photos of a nice, clearly spherical Earth floating on an inky black sea of space. But he was indefatigable. The photo didn't show the Earth, in fact,
2: but... One of the non-luminous bodies between us and the moon.
1: Every time a new milestone in the space race was reached, the world's press predictably hounded the planet's most famous flat-earther for a quote. Astronauts mentioned him as they commented on the shape of the Earth in transmissions from outer space, and he was forced to admit that, in spite of all of his efforts.
2: He had never converted a skeptic to flat-earth belief, though he added that his wife Lillian... Seems to be coming round.
1: As is abundantly clear, Shenton, though a loon, was the most adorable, distinctly British sort of eccentric loon. Sure, he believed the Soviets and Americans, nuclear armed mortal enemies, were secretly conspiring together to cast doubt on the fact of the flat Earth, but he wasn't a huge dick about it. And indeed, while few seemed to sign on for his eccentric views, there were plenty around the globe he fervently denied who at least saw his reactionary anti-science views as sensible in the face of a scientific establishment that had fueled the rise of the aforementioned nuclear arms race and thereby potentially doomed the Earth. Shelton was hardly alone in being skeptical of science in the 1960s. Shelton died in 1971, during the brief period when the Apollo moon landings were still ongoing. However, once again, flat-earth belief proved more resilient than its most fervent contemporary exponent. Though our next story is of a rather different sort. In the early 1970s, a group of Canadian academics got together and formed the Flat Earth Society of Canada, or FESC. Unlike its predecessors, this was Flat Earth Society as Art Project, replacing fervent, Bible-based belief with a sort of arch cynicism about what they saw as the unwarranted supremacy of science and the public's meek acceptance of received knowledge without critical consideration. Brief aside, you don't have to dig deep into the flat earth subculture before you start running into the same few quotes from mainstream figures that believers use to bolster their position. Among the most trenchant of these is a statement by George Bernard Shaw, who once noted,
2: In the Middle Ages, people believed that the earth was flat, for which they had at least the evidence of their senses. We believe it to be round. Not because as many as 1% of us could give the physical reasons for so quaint a belief, but because modern science has convinced us that nothing that is obvious is true, and that everything that is magical, improbable, extraordinary, gigantic, microscopic, heartless, or outrageous is scientific.
1: Now... It's obvious to anyone with a lick of sense that Shaw was decrying people's tendency to blindly accept the word of authority, even when it dictated beliefs and countermanded their own senses. The sin in Shaw's view was not science, but a lack of curiosity on the part of those who didn't understand it, and therefore accepted its pronouncements uncritically, as earlier generations had accepted the dictates of the priestly class. The FESC, led by philosopher Leo Ferrari, writer Raymond Fraser, and poet Alden Nolan, was bent on reversing the tendency that Shaw so accurately diagnosed. They hoped, by adopting a prima facie absurd stance, to encourage others to think more critically about the world they found themselves in. To quote one of the aims in the group's manifesto,
2: To spearhead man's escape from his metaphysical and geometrical prison by asserting unequivocally that all science, like all philosophy and all religion, is essentially sacramental, and therefore all reality, as man verbalizes it, is ultimately metaphorical.
1: Now, does this over-rotate towards some airy arts major theory of the ineluctability of truth? Fuck yeah, it does. But fundamentally, these Canucks were on the side of angels. In fact, their ostensible leader, Ferrari, participated in a 1990 project designed to help Canadian school kids develop their skeptical faculties through a documentary called In Search of the Edge that used standard journalistic techniques to present an absurd worldview and help the kids learn how to see through its many falsehoods and exaggerations.
4: By the name of Eratosthenes, performed an experiment that he claimed proved the Earth to be a sphere. However there are serious doubts about the accuracy of his data and his scientific procedures. Dr. Leo Ferrari explains.
2: Oh, the Eratosthenes experiment is an experiment uh, supposedly conducted in the first century, whereby this uh, ingenious person was supposed to have proved, I say that in quotes, that the Earth was a sphere of
0: some 4,000...
2: Hmm, flat-earthers for good. Will wonders never cease?
1: The final link between the history of flat-earth thinking and our contemporary internet-fueled moment is Charles Kenneth Johnson, a retired aircraft mechanic who, from his home in a remote part of California, kept the flat-earth flame alive for decades. Johnson fucking hated the Canadian Flat Earth Society, and his International Flat Earth Research Society of America, or IFERSA, stood for a totally almost comically unironic approach to defending the flat earth against all enemies, foreign and domestic. In fact, Johnson's hatreds ran a pretty wide gamut, and very much included his fellow biblical literalists at the still-in-existence-to-this-day biblical creation group, the Creation Research Institute. Not for the reasons that sensible people would disdain these guys,
2: namely that they are a group of dishonest assholes who are single-minded in their pursuit of the goal of ensuring that future generations don't understand the truth about the evolution of humans and other species, among many other sins against science and knowledge.
1: No. Johnson was pissed that they were unwilling to go whole hog in embracing the view of the world espoused by the Bible. Sure, it prescribes a literal seven-day creation of the Earth, as the CRI believed, but why wouldn't the CRI defend the flatness of the Earth, which is just as clear from the sacred text?
2: He denounced its leadership as demented devils, a criminal gang, phonies, and the worst enemies of truth. Johnson believed the CRI was actively undermining the Bible while publicly claiming to defend it, and was undoubtedly in leave with the satanic greaseball science. Just as Darwinism had materialist implications, so too did round-earth theory. In fact, they were facets of the same anti-God phenomena. In lectures, Johnson contended that the same gang who informed people they had hatched out of hot slime in a swamp we're the same creeps of the Greaseball religion.
1: Greaseball was the term Johnson inevitably used to describe round earth theory. And by the way, he has an excellent point. If the CRI is going to believe the literal seven-day creation account in the Bible, it's hard to see how they can avoid embracing its clear flat earth model, which calls to mind some sage advice.
5: Never go full retard. Everybody knows you never go full retard.
1: And if you doubt that the various authors of the good book believe the Earth is flat, there are about a million YouTube videos waiting to disabuse you of this notion.
6: today what we're going to do is we're going to go through about 145 plus verses revealing the operation and constructs of God's created Earth. So things that we're going to cover today is going to include Earth
0: is a circle, Earth does not move, Earth has ends, Earth has corners, Earth has pillars, Earth has a face, from the top of a tree, from the top of a mountain.
1: Johnson spent decades publishing his organization's newsletter and giving lectures, expounding on an ever more elaborate version of his theories. Columbus was the first to discover the ice wall and prove the world was flat. In contrast to popular belief, Christianity, as practiced throughout the world, was part of the globular conspiracy that had actually started with the Greeks, who sought to replace the true religion of the Bible with their satanic system. But weirdly, to his way of thinking, the U.N., the subject of many conspiracist cranks' darkest musings, was actually on the side of good, the proof being the UN insignia, which features a world map oriented around the North Pole that closely resembles popular flat Earth maps. Two last brief tidbits about Johnson, whose 2001 death brings us neatly to the Internet era with which the rest of our episode will be concerned. First is a charming story about how he considered his beloved Australian wife's immigration to the U.S. via boat to be proof of the Earth's flatness. After all, she didn't get onto that ship that brought her across the ocean upside down and had sailed directly to the U.S. across flat seas.
2: To bolster his case, he encouraged Marjorie to testify in person how she had not hung from her heels from her homeland.
1: Check and mate reality. One last tidbit, which is honestly one of our all-time favorite adorable conspiracist theories. When the O.J. Simpson case came to global attention in 1994, Johnson was ready with an explanation. See, O.J. had starred in the 1978 film Capricorn One, a mediocre effort that has become a conspiracist classic. The plot describes a faked Mars landing and cover-up, with Simpson playing one of the astronauts forced to participate. Johnson saw the murder case against him as slow-motion revenge by the satanic greaseball science powers that be.
2: They're finally going after O.J., Johnson told the Washington Post, because he helped to unmask the space hoax.
1: And with that, we leave the rich, thoroughly researched world of history that Dr. Garwood crafted for us, and plunge into the cause of, and solution to, all of the world's problems, the Internet. The
7: Earth, isn't fine. I'm sorry about that.
1: Without the internet, we wouldn't have a multitude of things that we enjoy or endure today. Streaming movies, ride-sharing, certain presidential administrations, this podcast. But one thing's for certain, if not for the internet, we wouldn't have a scintilla of the number of misinformed, yet 100% certain, flat-earth believers that we currently have to deal with. But why? Why is it in an era when it's actually easier to prove to yourself that the earth is round than at any other point in history,
2: See, again, those live feeds from outer fucking space.
1: There are so many people who swallow an easily disprovable lie. Well, let's figure that out, starting with a review of two of the biggest topics reality denialists use to attempt to overthrow everything we know about the universe. Again, arguing with flat earthers is a deeply unsatisfying rabbit hole, but there's so much delicious crazy in their beliefs that we just have to carve off a little taste. So, we briefly covered the Bible's flat-earth cosmology and the many verses one can point to in support of that perspective, but hearkening back to the show's opening, this is hardly surprising. The folks who wrote the books that eventually became the core of the Old Testament were a product of their times. The Hebrews lived among various societies, including the Egyptians and Sumerians, who had well-developed, if not identical, flat-earth cosmologies. It was only natural that, when it came time to write down the collected wisdom, experiences, myths, and stories of their people, these early Jewish authors would set them in a world that was flat, rested on pillars, had corners, etc. In fact, all of the previous flat earth theorizing we heard from Parallax, voliva, etc. is based on the ancient Hebrew cosmological model with an actual firmament or dome of heaven in which the lights of the sky, like the sun, moon, and stars, were fixed. That dome resting on top of a flat earth, which in turn rested on pillars, or a turtle, etc. And while not all current flat earthers seem to get their inspiration from the Bible, an overwhelming number of them do. Now, again, we at The Strain aren't here to cast aspersions on anyone's religious beliefs, unless said beliefs are maintained in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Like, for example, when people start choosing biblical cosmology over, say, gravity.
2: Wait, I didn't know that it was a decision people were making.
1: It is, though. One of the key points that flat earthers endeavor to make is that gravity doesn't exist. Now, given that gravity is simply the explanation of the universally observable fact that objects attract to a degree that can be described based on their mass and the square of their distance from each other, you might be excused for not getting what their objection is. And in point of fact, the flatties seem confused as well.
2: Gravity was simply a concept that Newton came up with and that the Freemasons and authorities grabbed onto to support and prop up the heliocentric spinning ball globe model. Go on... We are led to believe that the Earth is spinning on its axis at such an incredibly fast speed that this so-called unseen force is keeping the oceans and all other moving objects in their respective positions. The reality is that if this Earth were a giant ball of water spinning on its axis, the water would soon go flying off, and us, into the stratosphere. There would be no water left on the planet.
1: Fascinating.
2: Ask yourself this question. If there even was a force called gravity... And if it were that awesomely powerful as to hold all the trillions of tons of water stuck to this spinning ball earth, then how is it that a delicate monarch butterfly can out-levitate that extreme force and simply choose to flutter away in any direction that it so desires, even to migrate distances as great as 5,000 miles to Mexico?
1: Those preceding quotes, which sound like they are spewed by the same insane source, actually come from two insane sources. Flat Earth, Are You Serious? by Barry Howard Begley. And Antarctica, Does It End?, by Colin Ford, which just demonstrates that all of the gravity denial by these loop-de-loos sounds approximately the same and is all equally stupid. When cornered, they basically all argue that what scientists call gravity is actually just density and buoyancy. Obviously, that's horseshit, but we should acknowledge that in spite of all the things we've learned about gravity, especially in the wake of Einstein's theories, we still haven't discovered the particle that's associated with it, and physicists are still studying the mysteries of how it functions at incredibly small distances, as in subatomic particles, and at large scales, galaxies and black holes. So there's plenty of mystery to go around. Of course, flat earthers are simply concerned with denying the entire force, not with the cosmic conundra scientists are endeavoring to unravel. And in their closed mental system, no logic can get through. For example, here's a science educator and debater trying to explain gravity to a flat earther. Don't worry, we won't play much because your head would
8: explode. So, okay, do you accept that gravity is matter attracting matter because everything has an atomic mass?
1: No. Because okay. I don't see any evidence
8: and, of and anything attractive. So you have an alternative to gravity. What is
9: it? You have mass, and things with mass obviously weigh more than the, what's
8: around them. How so they, they fall down. More? What makes them weigh more?
9: Their mass makes them weigh more around Compared the area that they're what? in, the, the atmosphere.
8: Compared to wh- what holds me to the Earth? Is it because matter attracts matter like gravity? Nope, or is it the air some other you.
9: thing? The air cannot support you, but the air okay. can support a helium so, balloon. No, the air
8: cannot support me because matter attracts matter, which means that gravity works. Okay. Or matter so, does not attract matter, which means gravity does not work. Which okay, is run.
9: So if if it, if what you're describing is true, then why does a helium balloon rise when it is made of mass? It has mass,
8: and mm-hmm. so the Earth and has, has mass. It has less mass than the atmosphere around it.
9: Hold on a second. You said mass attracts mass, so there's mass. Right. A helium balloon is a right. is a uh, item of mass. The mm-hmm. Earth is mass. Why aren't those two things attracting each other? They
8: are. That's why the balloon doesn't fly off into space. However, heavier objects are going to crowd their way in ahead of it. What? The Earth is itself a massive ball of matter, okay. which is going to exude a lot of pressure gravitationally on all other things. Okay. So oxygen and nitrogen and and hydrogen, are, or no, oxygen and nitrogen at least, and uh, CO2 and all of this are going to gather in ahead of your helium because the helium is lighter, and so is the hydrogen by itself. So those things are going to be on the outside. Okay. Now, that's but, on the sphere. That's in the reality. Now, what about in the disk Hold on a second.
9: You, you still haven't described. You have two things of mass, and mass attracts. So right. why isn't it attracting the helium
8: balloon? It is. I okay, say a second time. It's not. Time, it's moving away from it. So it, it is. You have tra- and attractions I, for a that third time, I will explain. Because the yeah, helium... explain. The, the, helium weighs less, the helium weighs less than the yeah. oxygen and the co2 and everything right. that's around a, that's it a, which means that's that those other been... things are going to crowd in and it, which is why that's going to go higher that's why we're on the bottom and the helium is lighter than us because there is less mass
0: mm-hmm.
8: so the yes. air cannot support us but the air can support it and that's because gravity works but in your situation you've got a whole nother thing because you don't have the ball of you know of, of liquid, uh, liquid metal and, and, and all of that, that creates all this gravity that holds all these things down. You have a disc, which right. can't work that way. So gravity oh. can't work in your situation, which means you have to come up with an alternative model.
9: Well, it is the majority of mass, but I don't believe in the gravity that makes things spheres, no.
8: What kind of gravity do you believe in?
9: Well, if you want to talk about the fact that things have a tendency to fall down, my only different, only thing there is that it's not necessarily, people say, what is the, why is down a preferred, well, why isn't down up? Well, because if, if it was up, then up would be down. So, I mean, it's not a preferred direction. It's just simply the direction that we call down, which is where things with mass that can't be supported by the medium that they're in, that's why things in the ocean uh, can float like a tennis ball.
1: Before we leave this, this topic, to it's worth to noting that down. we don't have to go out into space to disprove the flat earther's gravity denial. All it takes is dropping a bowling ball and a feather with their radically different densities inside a vacuum chamber.
2: Spoiler, they fall at the same rate. Because, well, you know.
1: Our next topic is Antarctica. Sharp-eared listeners may have noted moments ago that one of the flat-earth titles we mentioned was called Antarctica. Does it end? It turns out the answer depends on the type of flat-earther you are. Author Colin Ford suspects it does not.
2: Exactly how far does Antarctica extend to? The true extent of its size could make the Earth's current known landmass comparable to a drop in the bucket by comparison.
1: See, Ford seems to believe that the only reason we have never seen how big the icy continent is, is because it's completely surrounded by an impenetrable ice wall. Good news, though, when God's wrath apparently dumps hail on humanity as part of his judgment, which is coming just around the corner, that storm will clear out the vast, unexplored regions of the extremely flat Antarctica that surrounds our flat world, and those who survive, flat-earthers all, presumably, will come to inhabit this vast, newly cleared land. So I got that going for me. Which is nice. Of course, this is ridiculous. As is the prevalent belief among various flat-earth shitbirds that the reason we haven't explored beyond Antarctica's ice walls is that, duh, we can't. Because we'd run into the firmament, which you'll recall is a real physical dome that covers the flat Earth, and on whose surface the sun, moon, etc. all swing around. For these folks, there are clues all over the place that Antarctica is not the contiguous southern continent that scientists, mapmakers, common sense, satellite images, physics, geography, plate tectonics, early 20th century explorers, computer modeling, the eyewitness testimony of hundreds, if not thousands, of astronauts, cosmonauts, and tychonauts would have you believe. No, instead it's a thin, icy rim around the outside of the flat plane of the earth, into which the firmament is glued like a snow globe by the hand of the Almighty himself. And they've got proof. Well, not, not proof, but assertions easily disprovable, ridiculous-on-their-face assertions. For example, back in 1959, the various countries who had some potential claim on land in Antarctica, the only uninhabited continent in the world, decided they didn't want to get into some sort of meaningless territorial squabble over a bunch of ice that in the post-nuclear age could lead to unimaginable consequences. So they decided to create a treaty system that would maintain the place as an international scientific preserve, among other agreements. But the Flat Earthers know better. They know that the various powers that be actually got together and created these treaties in order to ensure that no non-government actors would be able to get close enough to the firmament-slash-ice wall to learn the truth.
3: Or whether Antarctica is indeed the shoreline of the known world. I don't know the answer. Flat earthers don't have a government budget to spend a billion dollars to hire hundreds of cartographers and fleets of boats and planes to map the entire world. But even if flat earthers had the money, we would still run into the Antarctic problem. It is the fact that independent travel is not allowed below the 60th South parallel in any reasonable manner to make any determination as to whether Antarctica is the shoreline boundary circumscribing the known world. Or whether Antarctica is simply a continent a little north of the true but unnamed southernly shoreline of the Earth's oceans. For all we know, Antarctica may be an infinite plain that is uninhabitable at further distances. Again, we don't know. But as I will describe in this video, I suspect that Antarctica is the shoreline circumscribing the known world due to the unbelievable restrictions placed on travel there. Excluding a couple of questionable
2: claims... But isn't it suspicious that there are no flights over Antarctica?
1: This led to a completely unprompted, yet incredibly useful, thoughtful, and very much prompted question from a listener.
3: Hello, fearful. It's your old pal
1: Felonius Monk asking, why aren't there any commercial flights over Antarctica, huh? This nonsense relies on some very simple, and by simple we mean stupid, reasoning. If many international flights travel over the Arctic in order to save time and fuel costs— And they do. —then isn't it mighty suspicious that none travel over the South Pole? Well, no. I don't know if you've looked at a population map of the world recently, but it turns out that the vast majority of population centers are located in the northern hemisphere. So if you're flying from, say, New York to Hong Kong, the quickest route might take you over the frozen north. Similar southern-oriented flights are thin on the ground, though. If an airline was flying from some South American metropolis to Australia, then they might, oh, looky here.
6: Perth is at the centre of a world first air route in the pipeline to link South America and Asia. The fastest way is around Antarctica, which would require a fuel stop in Perth. Airline Norwegian Air Argentina has been given approval for flights...
1: Don't hold your breath for the loonies to concede this one, though. Even this unicorn of a flight path wouldn't cross the pole.
2: Conspiracy proved.
1: Yes, the conspiracy to save money by taking advantage of strong easterly winds that circle the southern continent, rather than flying across its centre to prove unreachable mouth-breathers wrong. How dare those airline companies. The nerve. Oh, and there are also airlines that fly tourists over Antarctica. No, they don't cross the pole. But come on, not one tourist's camera catches even a glimpse of the enormous, world-encasing dome? Cousin Gary's got a zoom lens, for Christ's sakes. It should also probably be mentioned here that real, honest-to-God human people have crossed all of Antarctica many, many times. These days, daring and potentially crazy individuals make solo treks across the whole frozen expanse every few years, albeit with some airdrops of supplies along the way. But probably the best evidence of all is the fact that we've had a goddamned fully functioning manned scientific station since 1975 at the South fucking Pole. You can find a promotional video for a tour company that takes people there. There was a daring, nightly, newsworthy story about an emergency rescue there a couple of years ago. Not that any of this can't be dismissed by Flat Earthers insisting the whole thing is a cover-up. Which, of course, is exactly what they do. Again, with zero evidence. One more thing. Before we leave the Flat Earth proofs behind, conspiracy believers love pointing out that the most famous images of the Earth have actually been... altered.
2: Wow. NASA is faking its images of the Earth? Holy shit. This is a huge scandal. I bet the Earth is actually flat now. Oh. Oh, it's not? And they're misinterpreting easily explained scientific practices? Well, knock me over with a feather.
1: The unscrupulous villain in most flat-earthers' NASA fake-Earth photo epistemology is this guy named Robert Simmon. He's the sinister figure mentioned in these clips, and by far his most infamous quote related to the iconic image of the Earth that he created, and which Apple used as the lock screen for the very first iPhone back in 2007, is that it's photoshopped, but it has to be. But why? Why does it have to be? This question, asked a million different ways by flat earthers, is clearly rhetorical. They believe they know the answer, and that this admission on Simmons' part about the standard operating procedures that have applied to space photography since its inception is smoking gun evidence that every image you've ever seen from space is completely fabricated and designed to mislead you away from the truth of the flat earth.
2: But is not that? Yeah, I'm guessing it's not that.
1: Duh. Obvs. When you spend even a second digging into the interviews with Simon on this topic, it becomes clear as day that he's one of the profoundest sorts of science nerds. The type who uncritically loves to explain the ins and outs of his particular area of expertise. The kind of guy who wants you to be as excited about what he does as he is. And thus, his open, honest discussion of the various processing techniques that virtually all astronomical images go through before they are released to the public. It's not that these images are being manipulated to deceive. Rather, when you see one of those gorgeous multicolor images captured by the Hubble, enhancements that have been applied are a sort of shortcut that lets laypeople see the details that otherwise require an expert's eye to uncover. For example, many stellar images capture light frequencies outside of the standard visible spectrum—infrared, ultraviolet, x-rays, etc. But by interpolating these frequencies, and thus helping viewers see these spectra, we gain a better idea of the true image of these stars, unlimited by our physical constraints. In this tradition, Simon, in various interviews, explains the reasoning behind his creation of the iconic image back in 2002. See, at the time, pictures of the Earth were far harder to come by, leading to a situation where,
2: He recalled similar falsely colored images rendered from older black and white NASA data were selling for up to $10,000.
1: Because he and his collaborator were government employees, he knew his work would be freely available to the public. So they got to work. Here's how he explained the project in his own words.
2: The last time anyone took a photograph from above low Earth orbit that showed an entire hemisphere, one side of a globe, was in 1972 during Apollo 17. NASA's Earth Observing System satellites were designed to give a checkup of Earth's health. By 2002, we finally had enough data to make a snapshot of the entire Earth. So we did. The hard part was creating a flat map of the Earth's surface with four months of satellite data. Rito stockley now the Swiss Federal Office of Meteorology and Climatology, did much of this work. Then we wrapped the flat map around a ball. My part was integrating the surface, clouds, and oceans to match people's expectations of how Earth looks from space. That ball became the famous blue marble. I was happy with it, but I had no idea how widespread it would become. I certainly never thought that I would become Mr. Blue Marble.
1: So Robert Simmon is a pretty rad, humble dude. He created this thing to keep people from getting ripped off, fanboyed out when it was chosen by Apple for their fancy new phone. And all of this turned into a great human interest story. But then, of course, the flat-earth dullards got a hold of it and asserted that his practices, standard operating procedure for his industry, were all a horrible conspiracy, but they're not. And again, we dig on Robert, and we hope he isn't regularly confronted by anti-NASA lunatics like this guy.
5: All right, guys, I'm here with a real NASA employee. I said, uh, astronauts have almost died in space. Uh, they got they get water in their suit and they almost drowned. And he said it was because of saliva. This guy right here, hold on, I'm gonna wait for him to get at the front of the line. And then I'm gonna ask him, some more questions look he was all nice he was all nice he gave me nasa cartoon freaking emblems now he won't talk to me
10: have a nice day okay
5: come on you won't even chat with me nope you 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 hate americans is that it excuse me yeah how the hell did you get that don't ever accuse me of that again. Well, hey, I'm okay? just curious. If you want to chat with me and answer my questions, I don't have to chat with yeah, you. Yeah, that's true. That's Step true. Step over there, okay? Well, You're not the boss of me, bro. i all leave because you asked me to. It's fine. All right, cool. But, but this NASA's a fraud, bro. All right. They lie. They they lie about everything. You're just gonna, uh, that's cool. I was just trying to ask questions. Yeah. Man, that was ridiculous. I got NASA freaking stickers from the NASA employee guys. And then I start asking him questions and he tells me to go outside of Starbucks. I'm freaking shaking. I am shaking. I can't believe that just happened. Oh my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That was amazing.
1: Woo! So having hopefully done our part to clear his name, we're changing tactics. Instead of arguing anymore with flat earthers nonsense. We'd just like to serve you up a whole bunch of it all at once. You know how we like ferreting out the craziest to the crazy and slicing up thick, uncut lines for you to snort up your ears, I guess, and get high on our own supply? Well, we've done it again, folks. Here are excerpts from our all-time favorite Flat Earth Lunacy Spew. Enjoy.
11: There is a firmament or dome encasing our flat plane. The firmament is described in the Bible's creation narrative. The elite would have us believe that these are just made-up cosmologies, invented by peoples who were too scientifically ignorant to understand reality. But there is no coincidence that the same description of a flat earth and dome is so common. These cultures around the world had special knowledge about the nature of this place we are living in. The dome is connected to catastrophes that have been recorded throughout the ages. What modern society calls myths and legends are, in fact, ancient history. Here we see the Milky Way's Great Rift. The definition of rift is a crack, split, or break in something. The Great Rift we see when we look at the sky is not a series of dust clouds like the liars at NASA would have us believe, but a literal crack in the dome. The Mayans called this the Dark Rift before any scientist had named it the Great Rift. The Bible refers to this crack as the windows of heaven. It was through these windows, through the dark rift, that the waters of the great floods fell. There's also evidence that a worldwide flood occurred as recent as the 1800s. These are photos you rarely see, ancient structures covered in mud and many destroyed, but they have since been dug up and refurbished. Many ancient sites we know and love are not the originals. They were buried and rebuilt in the late 1800s through the early 1900s. The elite rebuilt these structures for us because they don't want us to know about the destruction that took place sometime in the 1800s. A great flood coming from the sky would mean they could not impose a heliocentric worldview on us. I'm suggesting that these floods are cyclical. The sun, moon, planets and constellations somehow dictate this reset clock mechanism of the flat earth. This is one reason why the ancients were always watching the skies with so much dedication, for signs of another catastrophe. Sadly, the information of this reset mechanism has been hidden and kept to the controllers of this world. There is perhaps a total reset every 5,000 years. There is some device sitting above this crack, perhaps the celestial destroyer that so many texts talk about. The light we see at the center of the Milky Way is emanating from this device. Here are some photos of the ice wall which the dome is fastened to. Sadly, we don't have as many as we would like since this area is heavily protected by military presence. So, if there is a dome, how are meteorites explained? Debris floats around in the currents of the waters above the dome, occasionally hitting the barrier with enough force to penetrate it. This debris falls to the earth as meteorites. The composition of meteorites is very similar to that of the rocks and crust found on the ocean floor. Lighter than air vehicles, high-altitude airships, and high-altitude platforms are often misperceived as satellites by the public. So at nighttime when you see one of those moving dots in the sky and believe it to be a satellite, it's actually one of these illuminated balloons. The skies are riddled with these communications technologies, but we are made to believe that they exist beyond our atmosphere. If we are to believe NASA stories, then here's a question. How do satellites survive the 4000 degree Fahrenheit temperature in space? The similar Hebrew word nasha means to lead astray, to delude, to morally seduce. It's then no wonder that the NASA logo contains a serpent's tongue. Serpents having been a symbol for deception throughout mythology. I've discussed in previous videos how the sun is the collective consciousness of the whole, showering down on us in tandem with the astrolite and black sun. The moon, however, is different. It has been tampered with. In my video on menstrual blood, I describe how the moon was not always in the sky, suggesting it's an implant initially foreign to our flat plane it sends down rigid square waves at us via the Saturn moon matrix and creates an interdimensional light trap which attempts to recycle us back into another incarnation. The other side of our plane, Agartha, is so harmonious that these frequencies created there, whether it be actual sound or just waves of natural harmonious tones, appear as beautiful lights in our skies, revolving us and giving us spiritual guidance in the form of astrology. Directly underneath the North Star Polaris sits the vortex hole into the other side of our flat plane, into the land of perpetual twilight. This is where we find Agartha, Hyperborea, the Garden of Eden. Through this opening is paradise, where war and suffering does not happen. Many of the videos on my channel are dedicated to proving this exists, with help from coded stories, allegories, and symbols that have been given to us throughout the ages. The swastika is an ancient symbol seen in almost all ancient cultures in some form, oftentimes in association with the black sun symbol. The Big Dipper dances in a circle around Polaris, and this is where the swastika symbol comes from. We're doing our part in alchemically sealing this side of Flat Earth with the word spell Heaven on Earth. So Mother Earth harnesses a gateway into another realm, what I call the Vaginal Vortex. Once we're through, We will be able to remain in paradise, and some of us may choose to exit this entire matrix through the black sun, which is indeed a black hole sun. The great deep that many flat earth depictions describe is not a place to fear, it's simply dark because it's perpetual twilight down there illuminated by the black sun. I've said over and over again, down below is not a place of horrors and damnation, that idea has been given to us so we may never discover the fountain of youth. The scary stories of hell and the underworld, throw them out of your repertoire. We are in hell right now. At the beginning, y'all, of this these video, guys I have an mentioned...
1: Indiegogo campaign to fund their plan to fly out and uncover the lost landmasses under the North Pole. Their goal was hundred grand, and they smashed through a whopping four percent of it before they closed the campaign. Can't wait to see their vacation photos from Never Never land.
2: Hey, fearful? Yes, Dana. You send me the stuff to read every couple of months, right? And I always read it, no matter how crazy it is. No complaints.
1: Yes, I appreciate that so much.
2: But seriously, I'm having trouble with this one. I mean, all of these topics are people forming scattered pieces of disconnected, ephemeral, often non-existent evidence into an insane worldview. But even sovereign citizens agree with normal people on the shape of the Earth. Alex goddamn Jones knows that the world's round. Even chemtrails, which are super dumb, are inconclusively disproven at every second of every day by the ordinary functioning of society. I mean, these people deny that satellites exist. They deny that humans have ever been to space, in spite of the fact that you can see the International Space Station personally if you have a telescope of sufficient power. I genuinely don't get it. This is insane even for the show. What's in it for them? Why do they think this?
1: Those are great questions. You're a really incisive thinker.
2: You know, writing questions, convincing someone else to read them, and then talking about how clever those questions are in your scripted response is surely a sign of some sort of mental illness.
1: Be that as it may, it's actually tough to figure out how people can not only believe the Earth is flat, but feel honestly outrage that the rest of us don't agree, and that we don't see the obvious fact that a shadowy, all-powerful conspiracy of their own imagination has covered it all up. The nearest I can come to explaining it is to refer to the problem of hard solipsism. This is one of the unsolved and potentially unsolvable problems in philosophy, the unavoidable fact that, in spite of our best efforts, we can't prove that reality is real. To start at the beginning, each of us is justified in believing that we ourselves exist, as Rene Descartes demonstrated with his famous cogito ergo sum.
2: I think, therefore, I am for the less pretentious among us.
1: Now, philosophers have problems with even Descartes' seemingly bedrock formulation, but what concerns us here is that when you get down to it, there's no real way to prove anything at all outside of ourselves. For example, you're listening to this podcast right now, which implies that I recorded, mixed, and uploaded it from the luxurious Jesuit compound. But really, that's a series of assumptions you're making. You can't see me. You haven't met me. I use a pseudonym, for Christ's sakes. And even if we had met, and you recognized the sound of my voice, you could still have dreamed that meeting, or your mind could be somehow generating this audio for its own amusement. In fact, you can't really prove that your friends, family, even spouse, partner, or child exists. All of the information you have about these people comes from your senses, and we know your senses can be fooled. These days, most people think of this as the, how do we know we're not in the matrix problem? And the thing is, you really can't. You could be a brain in a vat. You could be imagining the world around you at every moment. Nobody except you might be real in the whole universe.
2: But what kind of asshole believes that?
1: Exactly. Remember that if you buy into this idea, you're accepting not only that your own brain might be producing this podcast, but also all of the songs you've ever heard by Mozart, Stevie Wonder, The Beatles, and Childish Gambino. Wow hard skepticism you has real musical range. So it may technically be an unsolvable philosophical conundrum, but most of us overcome it and go on to live productive lives in our shared reality. Of course, there are a few that don't and try to live as though nothing except themselves is real. We call them psychopaths, and it doesn't always work out so great.
3: A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti.
1: Anyway... Evoking hard skepticism is the closest I can come to explaining why someone in the modern era would cling to something so obviously, easily disproved as flat-earthism. It's the next best thing to denying reality altogether. And the conspiracy theory serves some psychological need in the believer to see him or herself
2: but let's face it, mostly
1: himself as the grand protagonist in a conspiracy that if ever proven, would truly upend literally everything we know about the world. Thereby, the believer is always on the cusp of being proven right on a scale that is otherwise unimaginable, of being proven wise, prescient, and important beyond his wildest dreams, and all without lifting a goddamn finger to make any effort to discover anything about the world as it actually is. By the way, we're not alone in thinking this. To get a better handle on how the good fight against Flat Earthers is going, we got back in touch with our old buddy Mick West, whose pseudonym this time is White Rabbit. You may remember Mick as the one who helped walk us through his experience trying to help chemtrail believers understand why their fears are completely unfounded. Turns out he's also deeply involved doing the same work with Flat Earth Believers. He in turn got us in touch with another frontline fighter against bullshit who goes by the name Soundly and whose YouTube channel is among the best, most straightforward sets of flat earth refutations available online. Each gentleman talked to us about his experience opposing flat earth ideas, trying to break through to the deluded, and thoughts on how seemingly intelligent people can possibly believe this way.
10: My name is Mick West, and I run the website metabunk.org, uh, which is a debunking website. We look into debunking all kinds of uh, conspiracy theories, things like chemtrails and 9-11 and the flat earth. I used to be a video game programmer, and I did the Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater skateboarding video game a long time ago. Now I'm retired, and I have a lot of spare time, and so I spend a lot of time... Uh, debunking things
6: my name's soundly which is of course my pseudonym i got involved in this because essentially i was just on youtube like anyone else entertained by the conspiracy world and the conspiracy mindset i mean some some of the stuff is fun to listen to like aliens and stuff like that it's almost like a sci-fi fantasy then i ran into flat earth and i was initially like okay this is a joke." Right. This
10: flat earth stuff can't be real. The way I got into flat earth was uh, very reluctantly. I didn't want to really address the flat earth issue at first because I thought the people who were in the flat earth movement were really just trolling. I really did not take them seriously at first. And I didn't think there were any people in the flat earth community who were doing anything other than just having a laugh.
6: And it should be simple enough to just show these people that they're incorrect. I simply sat down and did some trig on the moon. You know, when the moon moves, if if we're on a flat plane, the moon moving away from it should shrink like a bowling ball shrinks going down the the lane. And so I'll just throw some trig together real rough on a piece of loose-leaf paper with my cell phone, and that's what I did, put it out there. And the feedback that I got from that was (laughs) –
10: like, it just – was laughable just finished a book called uh, escaping the rabbit hole it's about how people get sucked into conspiracy theories and the best ways of helping those people and one of the ones i look at is the flat earth thing one thing i do in the book is i actually interview a former flat earth believer and there's a large section on there about uh, how he got into the flat earth belief and how he eventually got out of it he was a young guy and he actually had family members who believed in the flat earth. And they were kind of older religious people, and they told him that they believed the earth was flat, but they didn't really make much of it. And he kind of independently came to this realization, though I'm sure this must have been some kind of influence on him. And he he basically seemed to be rebelling. It wasn't really that he thought he had figured out that the earth was uh, flat, it's that he was rejecting the notion that we knew that it was round. Not really built on science, it's really a pushing away from science. And I think that applies to a lot of people who believe in the flat-earth theory.
6: I eventually ended up running into uh, this guy that believed that the Pythagorean theorem was false. And that even led me into more basic mathematics and even showing a proof for the Pythagorean theorem, which of course is a deductive proof, and the whole point about deduction is you know with a certainty that it's correct. They don't believe that they can know anything with certainty yet everything that they say they believe with complete confidence. And that's that mindset of not of thinking that you can't know anything with certainty yet believing everything you say because it suits your narrative. That mindset really got me curious about how, their mind operates, and how this all works. If you want to talk about scientific reasoning, you you start with your theory, you infer expectations, you generate a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis, and if that hypothesis is either supported or rejected, well, if, this, if the hypothesis is rejected, then it, it's invalidating their platter theory. And that's where the problem comes. Instead of invalidating their theory, they jump off down what uh, McWest likes to call the rabbit hole. You know, they, they basically do some type of post hoc hypothesis modification. It still doesn't work. You just change your hypothesis again back into the rabbit hole.
10: I think Flat Earth is really, in some ways, the ultimate conspiracy theory. The, the way it rejects science is, I think, very unique amongst the conspiracy theories. It doesn't, it, it doesn't attempt to use existing science to prove uh, its theory. It tries to reinvent science. If you look at... Uh, say 9-11 conspiracy theories, they will use Newton's laws of motion to try to prove, you know, that the buildings couldn't have come down other than by a controlled demolition. But the flat earth people will just reject Newton's laws of motion. They think that Newton was part of the conspiracy. He was some kind of uh, Illuminati master who invented gravity uh, to try to cover up the fact that the earth was actually flat. So they're not actually using science at all. They They try to put it forward as if they're using science, but they're really inventing a new kind of science. For example, uh, when they use perspective, now perspective is something that's reasonably straightforward from a geometric point of view. And we know what it is from an artistic point of view, like things that are further away get smaller, but they take perspective and they twist it around and then they apply it twice. And then they say that this make, this proves why the sun sets uh, in the distance. And, It's not based on anything that anybody has ever said. It's not based on anything any scientist has said or anything any mathematician has said. It's just basically, you know, some guy came up with this idea, wrote it down, and then that's the flat earth dogma. It's not based on anything. It comes from nothing. And it's really pretty much baseless. So there's this guy
6: out there named Dell from beyond the imaginary curve. And um, he basically just gets online and rants at people, angry rants at people and talks about how the Illuminati and there's conspiracy and, you know, they're all out to, you know, it's basically all controlled ultimately by the devil and trying to influence us all to whatever it's, it's really crazy. But he would always say, and it was like his catchphrase, water is always flat. Water never curves. Right. And that was a couple years ago. And since then, there've been a number of people, including myself, which have gone through the efforts of actually like filming and photographing structures that actually do curve over the horizon over water and therefore demonstrate that water is, in fact, curving. But the ones that have actually looked at the evidence, they, they, instead of denying that, they say that their theory predicts it based on refraction. Right. So they they add this magical refraction that does something different than normal refraction. And they add this magical perspective that does something different than normal perspective. And I lovingly refer to those as fleur fraction and fleur spective. And so they add this magic to their theory, their their geometric theory of a flat plane. And what ends up coming out as a result is exactly what you would expect to see on a globe but yet explained by their theory plus magic. So basically you can think of a triangle. uh, Anybody can look this up on Google Maps. Baton Rouge, New Orleans, and Mandeville, Louisiana. I live in that area. Let's just say that. And um, so I regularly go between Baton Rouge and uh, Mandeville and regularly go between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And I've made the triangle many times with the stuff that I've been doing. Yeah, the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway is a bridge. It's a, it's a world record-holding bridge. It is 24 miles straight over water, and there are huts about, about a mile apart, and those huts are all the same height, and they are perfectly in a straight line. And I use those in, in many of photo, uh, my photographs to show that these huts that are all the same height above water in a straight line are all curving over the horizon. And so I started I started photographing these structures. That's how my channel evolved. And then comes along Walter Bislin. And Walter Bislin created these models of basically all the structures that I've photographed. And then he took my photographs and set them side by side with his models and showed how the model of the globe and these structures on the globe In fact, does match my photography, which means that my photography is, in fact, validating the globe model. So after providing all this intuitive information, the models and the photographs that validate the models, the reaction has been from Flat Earth that it must either be CGI, which in my book is a win, because if they can't explain it with any other rationale other than it has to be fake then all that has to happen is somebody go out there and take a photograph for themselves to see the fact that it isn't, that it can be replicated by anyone. Or the other option is they just simply ignore it. And that's what most of them have done. You know, a lot of them have just tried to ignore it as much as possible and uh, present their propaganda without even addressing it.
10: There's a difference in the way that the flatter theory debunking that I do is received uh, compared to, the, for example, the 9-11 debunking or the chemtrails debunking in that because you know, the, the 9-11 and chemtrails are somewhat science-based, you can actually use science Uh, To explain why certain things are wrong. You can use science to to show that uh, Contrails do sometimes persist you can talk about things like uh, You know the condensation uh, temperatures of water and things like that and the actual scientific things but with the flat earth people because they've rejected all of science and also because they frequently don't understand science it's very difficult to get through to them because you can't uh, say you know, because of gravity you know, the Earth would naturally form into a ball because they don't think gravity exists. If someone rejects the entirety of science and mathematics, it's very very difficult to make an argument that they'll find compelling.
6: The way I way I characterize flat Earth is it's an anomaly of the Internet and of interconnectivity, because it used to be that every town had their full. And these days, those people can all interconnect with each other and they can all form communities. I think we're forming this community of people that are like minded in the sense that they don't like mathematics or don't like science or they always struggled with it as a subject. And they don't want, you know, to feel less of a person. So they invent reasons for why it's. Not worthy of them learning. They feel enlightened in the idea that they uh, know something that the rest of us don't, and it makes them feel special. And so I think there's always going to be that subsection of society that will exist, and those people will gravitate to these types of theories. I don't think we'll actually gain traction in the sense that it'll become a significant portion of the population but i do think that there are still people out there that haven't yet heard it that are of that type of mindset and they they will gravitate towards it so i wouldn't say we're at a peak yet but i don't see it growing very large ultimately in the end
1: do we have a treat for you you know how we at the strain love our kindle unlimited subscription it's where we find all of the weapons grade blithering idiocy that we dole out on the regular but it also gives us access to the occasional tongue-in-cheek masterpiece in the proud tradition of legendary gay erotica author chuck tingle
2: look it up but um not from your work computer
1: we present the return of the paranoid strain players Longtime listeners will recall that these thesbians previously brought to life a legendary event known as the Chicken Incident. See episode 3. But now we are pleased to present their dramatic reenactment of. Actually, Dana, could you please read the title?
2: Do I have to? Okay. Turn Gay by a Flat Earth, an M M/M slash M first time straight to gay erotic short story. By. <sighs> Squeeze my cockin'.
1: Perfect. And while this book is clearly intended as a parody, we think both the level of argumentation and the scientific rigor with which it's presented are definitely on par with the average flat earther's debating style. Okay, before you hear this, it's very important that you understand we did not write it. All we did was insert some narration, convert the text of the dialogue into a script, and unleash the let's call them talents, of the Paranoid Strain players to bring it to life. This is a real book, written by a real anonymous author, which you can really buy on Amazon. And it's frankly one of the most bizarre things we've ever read, which of course meant we felt obligated to share it with you. Without further ado then, ladies and gentlemen, the Paranoid Strain players.
7: In the first scene, our hero enters the bar and is completely unsurprised at the stares he's getting from patrons. He explains.
12: I've looked this good for a long time. And I've come to accept that both women and men find me almost irresistible. My body is the type that only good genes and hours of work in the gym can provide.
7: Sitting down to have a drink, he overhears a fellow patron chatting with his female companions.
0: Oh, honey, you have no idea the crazy shit that's going on in this world. And outside the world, too. Mars. The moon. Did you know the moon's hollow? Ancient cultures didn't even see the moon.
12: Something about the tone of his voice makes me think he's a gay.
0: Don't even get me started on those idiots who believe the Earth is round. (laughs)
12: Whoa. That's it. That hits way too close to home, and I'm too drunk to hold my tongue anymore.
7: What the fuck did you just? But he's brought up short as he gazes upon the other man.
12: The man talking crazy bullshit is one of the most beautiful people I've seen since the mirror this morning. Now, I'm as straight as they come. So this realization is startling. Look, the earth is round. Please, stop telling people that it's flat or whatever you believe.
0: It is flat.
12: No, there are literally hundreds of pictures of the Earth. Fake. No, they're real. All right, look, there's a Japanese satellite, a satellite up there right now. Nope. Right now, that takes a picture every 10 minutes from 22,000 miles up. Fake. And you can... CGI. Download it from their website. Composite. What if I could show you a test? Fake test. That you could do yourself. You can
0: just go outside and look up at the... Nope. Lies. Fake. You know, there are no pictures of the round Earth from outer space. That is absolutely false. Weren't you listening about the Japanese satellite? Fake lies from a faker. The pictures look fake. Besides, what makes you an expert? <laughs> What makes me an expert?
12: Well, I guess it's the fact that I'm an expert. Dr. Hank Winston? Professor of Applied Scientific Studies of Globular Research?
0: So you're part of the
7: conspiracy I should have known. Our heroes find themselves at an impasse. So, they make a gentleman's wager.
0: If I can prove to you that the world is flat, then my big c- is going directly between those pretty lips, and I will not be gentle. You
12: know I'm not
0: gay. I never
12: said you were. I'm not worried. If you can prove that the world is flat, I'll take that gay c***** right in my straight virgin ass.
7: The next morning, our hero was surprised to find himself standing in front of a $40 million rocket Privately owned by his companion.
0: Are you a billionaire or something? You seriously don't know who I am, do you? Burt Massingen? Yes, I'm a billionaire. I made my fortune writing erotica ebooks on Amazon. Se- seriously? Erotica? Like porn? I'm the author of literally two thirds of all erotica on Amazon. Their colloquy is interrupted. Nine. Ignition.
7: Outside of the atmosphere, our hero is shocked to discover the truth.
12: We are floating in space, in orbit around a gigantic square of rock, much like a massive tile. The familiar outlines of all the continents are pressed into its upper surface, with cottony dots of clouds floating above. I recognize the shape of the North Pole at the center, with all of the landmasses of the Earth radiating out. Massive walls of ice rise on the edges, and at each of the four corners, a gigantic figure stands, clad in white robes through which white wings peek. One of these angels, for lack of a better word, is holding a blinding but small ball of light in his hands. Even as we watch, the being tosses the ball of light clockwise to its counterpart at
0: the next corner.
7: It, is that it is that?
0: Yeah, it's the sun. But the
7: horrifying revelations aren't over. Our hero has his own secret to reveal. My name is Winston
0: Henry Globe. Globe? I don't get it. Wait, not that Globe family, the Globe family? It's true. So your family?
12: Invented the Globe, yes. For 500 years, my family has been the sole designer and manufacturer of Globes in the world. And it's all a lie, all built on a lie. Nothing makes sense in a flat world that rests on the back of a, uh...
7: uh. What our hero can't bring himself to say is that he can see the flat, tile-like Earth is balanced on the back of a gigantic green space turtle. Shocking. He begins to panic. Is this a joke? Who am I? What am
12: I? What is going on?
0: I know who you are. You're a guy who just lost a bet. And with that, things get... saucy.
12: Before I can taste my first gay... B- Bert grabs my face and forces me to meet his gaze. Say it. I'm delirious with the chemicals of gay lust. And I can only shake my head in confusion. Say it. He slaps me across the cheek with his turgid member.
0: Tell me about the Earth. Tell me why you're about to suck this big... T- the earth is flat. The earth is...
7: And then things get saucier. Possibly sauciest.
12: Flat. Flat.
1: Flat. 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 And... Scene. Well, I think we all learned a lot. Thanks, you magnificent acting bastards. And thanks to you, Mr. McAulkin. Please remember us when you're shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize. Okay, we've avoided it long enough. Let's dive into the flat earth absurdity with which our contemporary world is gripped. So, assuming that you have probably heard at least something about this phenomenon over the past couple of years, that information probably got to you through one of a fairly small number of potential vectors.
2: Those being celebrities and athletes, rappers, the guy who launched his own rocket, the international flat earth conventions, and YouTube.
1: Let's set them up and knock them down. It's no secret that many among our least thoughtful, most famous people have publicly adopted Flat Earth as their own personal philosophy of the moment.
3: Kyrie Irving turned the NBA world upside down and caused chaos among middle school teachers all across the country back in February when he revealed that he doesn't believe the earth is actually round. Even though the, the earth being round is Friday something that Friday And
5: BOV's been. trying to convince us that the world is flat. I had to check his timeline three
3: times just to make sure I was reading this correctly. Bobby Ray started his Twitter campaign to undermine science on Sunday night, and he was still going strong with the photo stats while you were
1: having Let's hear from a fan of this nonsense.
5: We live on a ball of water. You a stupid brainwashed motherfucker. It's a flat earth. It's flat as fuck. You as a person who believe we live on a ball of water, all they can do is this. So we live on a ball of water. Yeah, yeah, we live on a ball of water. But shit, man, I don't see no curve. Oh, man, that's because it's too big. But damn, man, it sure don't feel like we moving. Oh, that's because we moving so fast. Get the fuck out of here. Look, check this
1: out. So look. As one of the whitest of possible white dudes, I am acutely aware of the fact that virtually all of the most prominent flat-earth celebrities are people of color. Does this make me uncomfortable? Shit, yeah, it does. But on the other hand, I don't want to be one of those guys who gives irrational beliefs a pass because of the fact that some folks who are promulgating them have been treated poorly by society as a whole, and my ancestors in particular. So, you know, awkwardness acknowledged. Digging a little deeper, we find a bit more texture. So let's just eliminate Tila Tequila from the rest of this discussion, as she has not only endorsed the flat earth, but also Hitler, as well as the idea that she is maybe a clone or a robot. Taking a closer look at Kyrie Irving's statements, it's hard to pin him down. Maybe he's a true believer, but maybe he's just having a laugh.
3: Is the earth
6: flat? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> You're trolling everyone, aren't you? You're oh, trolling everyone. You don't believe that. Oh, man. Are you trolling everyone with the earth flat thing? <laughs> 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 look, look, okay. look, 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 okay. oh, look. It's it okay. Here no, it that's cool. We just need to make sure.
1: Here it is. Look, here it is.
5: All I want to do is to be able to have
6: that open conversation. And <laughs> when I
5: say open,
1: I mean open.
6: Literally, like stand up there and let all these people throw tomatoes at me or like have somebody think that I'm somehow this different intellectual person because I think that, or because I believe that the world is flat and you think the world is around. They created exactly that. It did exactly that to where it became like, because I think different does that ever knock my intellectual capacity or the fact that I can think.
1: The same goes for up and coming wrestler, Flip Gordon while the man has made a name for himself with his outspokenness on this topic.
0: Last question. Uh, true or false? The earth is
2: round. False. Can you please explain your answer?
3: It hasn't been proven. In my opinion, you can't believe anything you read on the internet. You can't believe anything you read in a textbook because it could all be fake. We don't know. They've had the technology we have today 20 years ago. They could have been making all this crap up because if they control us, then they have us. They can make us do anything we want.
1: Other statements make it seem very possible that his flat-earth declarations are part of the proud tradition of kayfabe. Rather than pretend to have any expertise on this topic, we'll let Wikipedia explain.
2: In professional wrestling, kayfabe is a portrayal of staged events within the industry as real or true, specifically the portrayal of competition, rivalries, and relationships between participants as being genuine and not of a staged or predetermined nature.
1: In other words, Gordon may maintain his exasperating public stance just because it's part of his character in the ring. The same can't be said of rapper B.O.B., who seems to have largely abandoned his music career in favor of full-time flat-earth... I don't know, do we call this bullshit activism? Anyway... He drew the ire of OG science popularizers Bill Nye. Well,
5: what, one, of, one of the people, B.O.B., that's <laughs> on Bill the gram. pull back. B.O.B.'s on the gram talking a lot of this stuff, and he's actually at he's the point. He's just trying now. to sell albums. Right? <laughs> Join the Planetary Society. We will have cameras that will take a picture of the Earth, and you can decide for yourself. Not a conspiracy. Come to Cape Canaveral and see the rocket launch. I'm here for you, man. B.O.B., <laughs> come to Cape I challenge you.
6: B. B., come B. To, you to Cape hear Canaveral.
5: This. And watch a rocket launch. There you
1: go. And Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh. All
5: right, listen, B.O.B., once and for all. The Earth looks flat because, one, you're not far enough away at your size. Two, your your size isn't large enough relative to Earth to notice any curvature at all. It's a fundamental fact of calculus and non-Euclidean geometry. Small sections of large curved surfaces will always look flat to little creatures that crawl upon it. But this... (laughs) Discovery and exploration got us out of the caves, and each generation benefits from what previous generations have learned. Isaac Newton, my man, said, if I have seen farther than others, it's by standing on the shoulders of giants. So that's right, B.O.B., when you stand on the shoulders of those who came before, you might just see far enough to realize the Earth isn't flat. (laughs) And by the way, this is called gravity.
1: This latter feud even resulted in a good old mixtape diss battle. I know that sounds bad when I say it, but it's true. First, B.O.B. responded to Tyson's dismissal of his carefully thought out insane
5: ideas.
1: And then there was a response where Tyson's nephew takes the lead and mixes in quotes from his famous uncle.
0: Flat Earth is a problem only when people in charge think that way. No law stops you from Regressively basking in it
3: He learned the game from Carl Sagan You can never check him You say the earth is flat and then you try to
1: disrespect him I'm bringing facts to combat a silly theory Because V.O.B. has gotta know The planet is a sphere, G. Whoa, very important that I clear this up yep. You say that Neil's vest is what he needs To loosen up, what? and he's a mason Cause the brother's getting paid When the ignorance you're spitting helps to keep people enslaved I mean mentally
2: Ah, oh, shit son, NDT spin- fire!
1: Uh, not so much. We find ourselves in agreement with Lizzie Plodzik of the website The Verge, who notes this response while on the side of Angels, feels like a bad Weird Al parody. But it's better than we could do. The best part of the B.O.B. saga is when he decided to launch a GoFundMe campaign asking his followers to pay for his weird obsession to the tune of one million dollars. Here he explains the need for that money.
5: Come to the conclusion that instead of just sending one satellite or several satellites in the space i will be raising funds to try every available experiment and test including but not limited to uh, weather balloons drones uh, blimps even um, high altitude uh, balloons and whatever else.
1: Thankfully, it appears that while plenty of people are willing to entertain nonsense like this when their participation is limited to commenting on YouTube videos, those same people seem to balk when they're asked to back them up with their own cold, hard cash.
2: As of this recording, the total raised stand at a little less than $7,000, meaning B.O.B. is far less successful percentage-wise at turning his obsession into filthy lucre than even the chumps we discussed earlier.
1: With the most unshakably certain, celebrity flat-earther seemingly in a holding pattern, it was up to the less famous and even crazier to move this cause forward. And by forward, I mean up. you drove
0: to a
11: ghost town with a population of four people in the middle of nowhere California, you'd find a rocket and a daredevil pilot Can you that down like that, huh? with strong beliefs... And no
8: parachute.
4: Yeah, I'm the captain. I'm going down with a with the ship, because it's safer that way.
8: The
11: plan one day is space, because he wants to prove all his critics wrong about planet Earth.
10: It probably looks more like a frisbee,
8: okay, with turned up edges. Now the edge which keeps all... of all of the
1: quirky folks in this story, one of the most appealing is Mad Mike Hughes. His tale, which ostensibly started out as an expression of his hardcore flat-earth beliefs, gradually mutated into the classic narrative of a cranky American proving his detractors wrong. Hugh's entire concept seemed designed to earn him a Darwin Award, i.e. a guarantee that he would shortly be removing himself from the gene pool. As we alluded to at the beginning of this episode, he built and launched his own steam-powered rocket, and live to tell the tale. But the story gets even more intriguing from there. For example, it appears that the 61-year-old limo driver came to his flat-earth beliefs well into his career as a daredevil. In fact, his first steam-powered rocket launch came in 2014, and his conversion to FE belief only transpired in 2016.
2: Let us not think too long or too uncharitably on the fact that he had just failed in his attempt to raise funds for his next planned launch when he saw the light, accepted flat-earthism, and promptly started soliciting like-minded individuals for a plan that looked suspiciously like his original goal.
1: Regardless of how firmly or deeply his conversion took root in his soul, the story of Hughes quickly moved from, here's a crazy flat-earther who's going to get himself killed, to widespread accusations that the delays in this insane plan meant he was chickening out. Well, Hughes may be many things, but he's no chicken. He did it. And survived. But his rocket, which reached its planned maximum height of 1,875 feet, was never going to get high enough for him to learn diddly squat about the shape of the Earth.
2: You can technically sort of see the curvature from 35,000 feet or so, which is standard cruising altitude for an airliner. But in practical terms, it's tough for your average economy flyer. You need virtually no cloud cover and about a 60-degree field of view. Kind of tough through those little windows. To see it clearly, scientists recommend an altitude of 50,000 feet or more. But regardless, Hughes wasn't even close.
1: Hughes is quick to agree. In an interview with the website The Drive, he noted,
2: I'm the first private individual to launch from a mobile rocket launcher, and I think it solidified me as the world's greatest daredevil in history, Hughes said. If anyone's done anything cooler than that, I'd like to see it.
1: So what was the point? Well, again far be it from us to doubt that this is simply a step on his path toward launching a rocket high enough for him to photograph the flat earth, but we will note as we move on that he is not leveraging his notoriety into the building of another rocket, but rather into the loftier goal of campaigning for governor of California.
2: Shine on, you crazy diamond.
1: Hey, do you know our F.E. friends have started having conventions? We don't really have anything to add here that you can't get from dozens of skeptical news reports, but you better believe we're thinking about attending one of these things in the future. And so finally, we come to the festering heart of Flat Earth, YouTube. To our surprise, our research into the very active, incredibly irascible FE presence on the world's most popular cat video repository actually led us to a controversy that makes the whole modern phenomenon even more interesting. To do it justice, we enter the final segment of our show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from the four corners of our great land, we present this episode of Profiles in Crazy. Flat earthers are so prominent on YouTube that it can seem impossible to truly get your arms around the culture of a sort that they've developed. And we would never suggest that we can deliver any definitive answers, but we did pick up a very interesting thread that weaves through many of their unbelievably long videos.
2: We know we're in a glass house on this, but Flat Earthers, if you're going to create two hours plus pieces of content, please at least
1: do some editing. Harken back to our analogy between Flat Earth belief and hard skepticism. Because it's so absurd, easily and constantly disproved, and marginal, those who buy into FE beliefs are among the most solipsistic of self-identified skeptics, and therefore among the most susceptible to buying into never-ending new layers of conspiracy, which means, in turn, that, even more than we saw with 9-11 skeptics, these conspiracists are among the fastest to turn on their ideological comrades and accuse them of treason against the flat revolution. Take as a prime example Mark Sargent. This loon is, perhaps more than any other individual, responsible for the explosion of FE credulity among the internet using populace. His book, Flat Earth Clues, is one of the most popular texts within the movement. His YouTube channel boasts 58,000 or so subscribers.
2: Which reminds us, our splendid YouTube channel only has a few dozen. Would you mind looking us up and boosting that total?
1: He's one of the featured speakers at various FE conferences that have sprung up, He's the go-to contact for the mainstream media when they want to get a pulse on this weirdo movement, and the audiobook version of his ravings is delivered in such a calm, concise manner that you really have to pay attention to appreciate how batshit it all is.
3: When this guy, Mark Sargent, posted his flat-earth clues...
4: Part of a series of clues that can help you get your head around both the design of the flat Earth system we live in.
2: You're kind of the like father of this oh movement. Boy, how, how would you? <laughs> don't
4: do you're that. You're the one who's sort of started it all. Like, I did not invent flat Earth. All I did was walk up to a door, point at it, say, "You know what? I think there's some really interesting things on the other side of this, and check it out for yourself." If flat Earth is a university, you know, FEA then I would be the freshman recruiter.
1: Anyway, you would think that his seemingly unquestionable dedication to and leadership of this movement would make him, if not the Pope of Flat Earth, at the very least it's Deepak Chopra. But surprisingly enough, the only thing nearly as popular as Sargent are the seemingly endless series of videos decrying him as a shill and a fraud.
10: Mark K.
6: Sargent, one of the original shills in Flat Earth, promoting the AE model or the enclosed world. You haven't really done a flat-earth video in years. All you do is hangouts with something else that you promoted, and that
4: is Pat Steer. You know, Mark and Patricia lied their asses off to the flat-earth community. It was about a week or two ago, they told the flat-earth community the public couldn't attend the viewing of their documentary. Why don't they want flat-earthers there? It would seem like if this was a legit documentary about flat earthers, they would be advertising this weeks ago and say, "Hey, let's make sure uh, the flat earth community shows up." You know why they don't want nobody to show up? Because it's anything but about a flat earth documentary. It's a ball earth documentary about these crazy flat earthers. Really you
5: know if someone's a show or not a show unless they
4: truly blow their cover
5: or take some time for them to show their hands it's a complex chess game that, that they play obviously uh, Alex Jones is, is a clear example of one Mark Sargent I mean the guy's sitting there doing an interview then they show him on camera he's in like an ultraman uniform. Give me a break and then you hear him talking about the stars, the sunbeam projections and, and where do you even come from They're like there's a lot of this what like Matt Parland is saying
1: now. As dedicated battlers against nonsense, we're content to ask for extra butter on the popcorn as we kick back and watch the crazies fight amongst themselves. But the thing is, while there's no good evidence that Sargent is a fifth columnist, it appears that Flat Earthers' general fear of interlopers is justified. That was the upsettingly loud sound of the official paranoid strain, Justified Conspiracy Alarm. We know it's awful, but to be fair, we don't think we'll have cause to use it very often. Anyway, it turns out that as we saw with the Canadian flat earthers in the 70s, there are a number of folks who are deeply embedded in the flat earth movement who have highly suspicious motives. In our modern case, their potential ulterior motives center around trolling. Trolling, as we noted earlier, is the act of upsetting people just for the fun of it, and it takes many forms. It truly came into its own as a topic of conversation in the wake of the 2016 election, where everyone from Bernie bros to Trump fans to Russians impersonating Bernie bros and Trump fans seemed to be engaged in complex, three-dimensional chess games predicated solely on irritating their political or ideological opponents. Often, this trolling is a dangerous game— It appears that Kurt Vonnegut's dictum that we are what we pretend to be impacts those attracted to trolling particularly, as notorious troll farms like 4chan have gradually mutated into actual, if still highly ironic, hives of racism, fascism, etc. How does this apply to our current topic? Well, it turns out that while the accusations against Mr. Sargent might be baseless, again, he truly seems to be a dyed-in-the-wool flat earther, there's plenty of reason to doubt other stars and former stars of the movement. Take, for example, Tim Osman. Until some future historian bothers to comb through the rubble of 20-teens flat-earth culture and writes a definitive history, it will probably be tough to figure out the truth about this deeply weird controversy. But from what we can tell, Tim Osman emerged as a leading flat-earth voice in recent years as leader of the Infinite Plane Society, or IPS.
2: We could go into what they claim to believe, but at this point, you get the gist, right?
1: Osman and his group would seem to be simply garden-variety flat-earthers, but the rabbit hole goes deeper. For example, Osman has published a book called The Flat Earth Activist, which is pretty typical of the form in many ways, but in addition to the standard exhortations for readers to embrace ever-wackier conspiracy thinking...
2: If a globe believer is unwilling to consider that CNN would falsify news to spread propaganda, even going so far as to fake school shootings, then they simply will not make it to the bottom of the rabbit hole.
1: He also offers advice for other F.E. devotees that seems suspicious. Some quick excerpts.
2: We must protect trolling. Shout the truth. Type nice, calm, clearly presented arguments in all caps with lots of exclamation points. When you bring it up at dinner and your parents tell you to stop talking about it, say, By accepting the globe as fact, you cowards are selling your children into slavery without even knowing it because the brainwashing is so high-tech and the evil so pervasive. So don't call me crazy, you craven lemmings.
1: More? Yeah. A little more.
2: You must shame people for being deceived by a psychological warfare device presented to us as a spherical map. Here are a few areas to leverage the power of guilt and shame. You believe the International Space Station is real? Come on. Bubble in space? Catch up, brah. ISS is a propaganda operation presented as a reality TV show. Use guilt by association. You love the globe so much you must totally be on board with the evil globalists who like to eat baby meat on their pizza. Use your moral high ground to level attacks on their character. Flat Earth is a liberation movement. Why are you against liberation? Do you love slavery? Are you racist?
1: See what I mean? Now, there's no doubt that we've encountered exhortations to this kind of crazy from believers before, but am I alone in detecting a note of disingenuousness here? Like, maybe this is all a setup to make the Flat Earth adherents look even dumber than they would left to their own devices? The suspicious stuff doesn't stop there. Osman also drops weird alt-right language willy-nilly into his book, literally referring to those who understand science as globe cucks. And more damningly, the Infinite Plane Society he's affiliated with also has a book on Amazon called Flat Smacked: a Flat Earth Lexicon, which is supposedly compiled by Admiral Mockingbird and Amelia Fairheart, but which quotes Osman at various points and which takes as its figurehead Fepe, a lightly edited version of the notorious Pepe the Frog character, only in this case transformed into a penguin and credited with the deep thoughts and musings of the infinite Plane society as a whole. Sample definitions from this book include
2: EMP, Electromagnetic Penguin. An electromagnetic pulse capable of shutting down the matrix code is emitted by the hearts of emperor penguins, guardians of Antarctica.
1: Hit me again.
2: We are all Mark Sargent, a statement proclaimed by anyone who assumes the identity of Mark Sargent for the purposes of flat earth activism. Mark Sargent is widely considered the Guy Fawkes of flat earth and is an open source activist who may or may not be CGI.
1: And sure enough, a guy who was apparently Tim Osman appeared in front of an Albuquerque City Council meeting proclaiming himself to be Mark Sargent.
4: Welcome. Hello, the name is Mark Sargent. That's great. Oh. I want to draw the public's attention to what may be an extremely egregious example of malfeasance. And just to help illustrate the gravity of the situation, imagine if the federal government gave $19.5 billion to Hollywood. I think we'd all be pretty upset by this. Well, there is a growing body of evidence that the International Space Station is not in outer space, but it's being filmed in a desalinated pool down here on Earth, and it's being falsely misrepresented. And uh, this started with this phenomenon known as...
1: Of course, genuine flat earthers have noticed the tone that Osman and his fellow travelers have taken, and they've of course created YouTube videos dedicated to proving that he's a troll. Fake etc.
2: But none of this is even the weirdest part.
1: Not even fucking close. The weirdest part has to do with the name Tim Osman itself. The supposed flat earther spells it with a Z, but the O-S-M-A-N spelling is actually part of a completely different conspiracy theory. Namely, that Osama bin Laden was actually a deep-cover CIA agent who was used as a scapegoat for the nefarious 9-11 plotters, who supposedly cooked up the whole thing, as covered in exhaustive depth in our previous two episodes. Care to guess what the entirely imagined CIA agent was supposedly named?
5: In the early 1980s, bin Laden worked with operatives from U.S. intelligence, the Pakistani military, and Arab states. They ran a wide-ranging covert network that recruited and financed Muslim fighters to battle the Soviet army.
1: It is now known
6: that Osama bin Laden was a CIA asset under the codename Tim Osman. Bin Laden would
1: use this handle when he would visit the states.
3: The relationship between bin
2: did we just connect 9-11 truthers to flat-earth trolls? You bet your sweet ass we did.
1: And so, the flat-earth turtle eats its own shell. Riven by suspicions of fifth-column traitors, some apparently quite justified, the still-growing modern flat-earth movement continues to shake its fist against the sky, demanding that the entire universe rearrange itself to put those same flat-earthers back at the center of it. And while there's seemingly no chance of any serious, sober-minded policymakers taking up this absurdity, even including the policymakers you hate, The simple fact that it serves as a hermetically sealed quasi-religion, a kind of psychological salve and twisted ego boost, for so many ill-informed people all around the globe that they deny the existence of, makes it a particularly fascinating variety of Paranoid Strain. This has been The Paranoid Strain. Follow us on Twitter at Paranoid Strain, email us at theparanoidstrain at gmail.com, and visit on the web at theparanoidstrain.com. Special thanks to our second time interviewee, the always engaging Mick West, aka White Rabbit, and our new interviewee, the decidedly mononymous Soundly. As always, we're grateful for the musical stylings of Daniel Arizona and the Paranoid Strain Orchestra, and indebted to the dulcet Northern European interjections of Ms. Dana Unicorn. Final mixing assistance comes from Big Mucho, who also put together our super duper website, and Willem UFO makes the pretty pictures. I'm Fearful Jesuit. Thanks for listening. Next episode, we check back in with our old frenemy, Alex Jones, to see how things are going for him. Spoiler, badly. And we also learn why people are so freaked out about one of our nation's busiest airports. In the meantime, remember the world is chaotic, but it's not out to get you. Or at least, not you specifically.